Welcome to the Westside Gathering Podcast, and thanks for making the time to learn and grow with us. Here, you'll find teaching from our live Sunday gatherings. After the message, we'll say a little more about our church and how you can connect. But for now, let's jump right in. This is a you know, this psalm is not like on its own. There's other psalms that might be like it. But what a, a cool thing about this psalm is that it gives us a sense of the, of the obstacles that someone like David who was writing the song, King of Israel, would have faced and others. Have you ever been up against a challenge or an obstacle? And if you've been following Christ for a while or if you've read the scriptures, you're believing maybe that God is supposed to come through, like with a solution with a resolution, with a rescue. We see some of this language in here. And it's either not happening, and you're like, God, what's going on? Why is this not happening? Or it's taking way too slow according to your timeline. Have you ever been in that situation? Are you in that situation now maybe? And, and up against that, and, and you know what? Psalms 108 feels your pain. If, that, if you felt that or experienced that or will in the future, Psalm 108 feels your pain. David, the author of this, is king of Israel, and he writes often, the psalms he writes, they're worshipful, but they're prayers that often process a situation that he's bringing before God. Uh, maybe it's a lament, maybe it's a struggle, maybe it's a victory, maybe it's a way that he's bringing his whole self to the Lord. And, you know, here he's up against a wall. We don't know what, because he doesn't describe it, but you can tell he's hitting a crucial obstacle. Nathan, a couple of weeks ago, as he walked through Psalm 16, you know, acknowledge that, man, some of the Psalms help us realize that these, you know, the people that are writing these, and we're often like always up against a wall with something, it seems like. They lived in a different kind of world where the enemy was literal and close. But David believes God is with his people, and he's hoping for breakthrough. Like verse 6 is pretty evident. Give us victory. Verse 12 is pretty evident. Grant us help against this foe. Human help is, human help is worthless. So he's hoping for that. He's longing for that. And let me ask you this question. Who doesn't want what David wants all the time? Like if you had a choice, let's be honest. If you had a choice, who doesn't want what David wants all the time? Who doesn't want to win all the time? Like who wakes up in the morning or facing a project at work or facing an obstacle and say, I'm up for a loss today? Like the, who does that? Nobody does, right? So... I think if we're honest with ourselves, we probably want what David wants all the time. We always want victory. We always want solutions. We always want rescue. We always want help. We always want to believe and feel and know and experience that God is on our side. One of the things with modern Christianity, or maybe more so modern evangelicalism, is the Bible's been turned into a promise book. And I remember, and I don't even know if it's in this Bible, but I know some of my Bibles in the past, there's like an appendix at the end two, three pages of reading God's promises. And it's almost like, like a recipe book, like you're dealing with this, read this verse, you're dealing with this, read this verse. Don't worry, God's got your back for this. God's got your finances. God's got your health. God's got your, you know, your family situation. God's got your work situation. And often it has to do with wealth or health or success or being obstacle-free. And in an extreme view of that, the Bible sometimes has been turned to like God is a genie machine that gives us everything we want. And then we hold God accountable to not doing it because we have the appendix in the back with all the promises we list and pray, pray back to him or tell our friends about. And here's the thing. That doesn't always work out that way. Some of these promises, unfortunately, in the appendix were maybe cherry-picked and pulled out of context, maybe. But if you think about this for a second, if we're honest, anyone who's followed Jesus or had 
a true spirit-led, God-sized dream knows that there's struggle that comes with it. It's not always perfect. The timeline doesn't always work out. And part of, a, what, part of what it means as a Christian to follow Jesus is to live between two major promises. I feel a little bit, you know, I, I'm working with one hand today. I love to move my hand, but I can't because I'm holding my microphone. I'm just bugging Enzo in the back. He knew this was going to happen to me today. But we live between two major promises. The resurrection of Jesus is one promise that already happened, and the resurrection of the dead in the future is also a promise for God's people. We live between the breaking in of God's kingdom that Jesus brought about, and we live between the next thing, which is God's kingdom, his full reign and rule. But between those two promises, we often walk through problems, right? It's not always perfect. So I wanted to like just clarify that because even what we're going to read today isn't a cure for every issue we're feeling. But on the other hand, the Bible has promises at the core of its, of its story, at the core of its word to us. Genesis 3, we see humanity in a fall, brokenness, rebellious because of sin. And what's God going to do about that? Well, he promises to rectify that. And he does that through Abraham and Israel and eventually Jesus. And we read that famous verse, John 3, 16. God loved the world so much that he gave his son for us, to save us, to free us. You read some of the prophets, like Joel 2, this Joel describing the outpouring of God's Spirit one day. And after the church starts to, you know, explode in growth, after the resurrection and Jesus is ascended, like we read Acts 2 and we're like, oh my gosh, Acts 2 fulfilled this promise in Joel chapter 2. What an amazing thing. There's here are these core promises. One of the famous promises in the Great Commission, Jesus says, I am with you always till the ends of the age. That's a promise we can hold on to. And so here's David, right? He's, he's in this role as king of Israel. He is, he, he's, he's king of Israel because God placed him there. God led him to this. God's prophet Samuel anointed David to be king. Paves the way for this. David's heart of worship, David's struggles in his life as a shepherd boy, all prepare him for this moment. And David believes that the God of his people is still leading them and still leading him. But here's a question for you and me. Just, that's a reminder. I have reminders on my phone too. Here's the question. What do you do when God's promises aren't fulfilled? Or your perceived promises. But what do you do when God's promises aren't fulfilled or when it's not in your timeline? What do you do when it's not in your timeline? And David gets bold in this approach. He leans in. He does three things. He leans into God's story. Right? He sings and then he seeks God. He leans into God's promises, he praises God, and he prays. And the first thing he does is he leans into God's promises that are already present in Israel's story. He reminds himself of God's promises that already played out in their history. And that's like right in the middle of, the, of this song, verses 7 to 9. Like he's summarizing God's big story from fall to God, from like fall to Israel being under Egypt's rule and reign to their freedom and, ex you know, out of the exodus, then to this promised land. He's kind of summarizing it. It's not like a literal timeline, but he's summarizing it. And he starts off with a really bold thing. He says, God promised in his sanctuary. And then he kind of summarizes what happened. Your version of the Bible might say, God promised on his holiness. 
That's a real bold thing to say. God promised on his holiness. It's like if my kids come to me and say, Dad, you promised this on our family and on our life and on your, you know, who you are, and then you didn't come through. So when David says God promised in on his holiness, it's like God is putting his character on the line when he promises Israel to get them into this land. And if he doesn't do it, then it's like, well, who is God? Is, this, is God even God? So God puts his character on the line. And David summarizes the promise in this poem. And some of the, you know, the phrases seem foreign to us. Like, I will divide up Shechem and I will allot Sakoth. Now, just so your perspective is, they're going to this place called Canaan. And on either side of the Jordan River, you know, uh, Shechem was on one side and Sakoth was on the other side. And then when, this is before Israel's there. And then... David says, Gilead and Manasseh are mine. And those are the two tribes of Israel that take the west side. And then he says, Ephraim and Judah are my instruments. And those, those are two of God, the tribes of Israel that take the east side. And then as he goes on, he talks about Moab and Edom and Philistia. And these were nations that often came against God's people. And basically, he's summarizing and saying, we know that these people didn't stop your plans, God. They didn't stop what you were doing and what you promised. So what's David doing here? He's reminding himself that God's promises based on God's holiness in Israel's history already took place. And yet he can root himself in this. And this is encouraging because sometimes the only thing we can do when we believe God's promises aren't being fulfilled or the timeline isn't according to our plans or even harder if the promise will only take place in the future, sometimes the only thing we can do is root ourselves in something God has already done. That's what David does. These days, um, you know, I'm, I'm involved with other pastors and other church networks and our own. And, and one of the big things that, you know, people are talking about today is, you know, how do we deal with, like, disruption in our culture? How do, wh what's even happening next? And what's going on with the church? And how's the church going to live through our culture? People are calling this zone a gray zone geopolitically and historically and among nations and economically. Nobody, nobody knows, like, like, the markets are like a roller coaster. and Nobody knows what's going on. And, and so, in a sense, a lot of people are praying for, Lord, how do you lead us through this? One of the things I'm praying for is renewal, that our hearts would be renewed. Some people like to use the word revival. I'm praying for it. I'm believing for it. I'm longing for it when I see us, when I think of each of you and our church and what God has called us to. I'm praying for renewal. But sometimes I don't see it. And you know what encourages me? I look back to Acts chapter 2 and I'm like, God, you did this. You did this. You already did this. I love reading moments of church history and, and seeing God break through. Even the middle of the brokenness of the church, God breaking through. I love reading stories of revivals in the 18th and 19th century and even in the 20th century. I love finding out what God is doing in Iran and in Ukraine and in other parts of the world because I see what God's doing in the global church. And then I look back and I say, God, can you do this here? One of the prophets, Habakkuk, had that exact phrase he said, God, I've heard of your frame. God, I've heard of your deeds. Will you renew them today in our day? So when I pray that, I'm leaning on something God has already done. David's reminding himself. But you know what? He's even reminding God. He's pretty bold. He's reminding God, this is, you did this. But he does more. And this is something you and I can grasp, which is so important. He does more than just have a memory. He actually sings. He does more than just look into the story. He sings 
praises. And praises, I know, is like a word. Do we even use that word? And it's a beautiful word in Scripture. Verses 1 to 5, he starts off the whole psalm. He kicks off the whole psalm totally focused on worship. This is how he postures himself. Now, I want you to get this. Before God ever does something, before he reminds himself of the promise, before he utters a prayer, before anything ever happens, before he knows anything is ever going to happen, he worships. That's what he does. He begins singing. Now, there's a few people, it actually came up this summer, I heard someone say this, and I've heard someone, some people say this, you know, and it's like, I'm going to get my praise on today. Have you heard that? Ever heard anybody say that? No? Okay. I've heard it. I'm like, what does that mean? Like, what, what do you mean I'm going to get my praise on? I know what they're, I know what they're saying. They're saying, like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to worship. I was involved in a funeral this, this summer and helped a family through that, and and uh, some of the family members, some were, were Christ followers, and they determined to posture themselves in worship even as they entered the funeral service of their dad. For David, it's real. Like, this is what he's doing. He's saying, I will sing, I will give thanks, I will exalt, I will bring this before the Lord. And he uses this word three times, the word awake. Three times he uses the word awake. He says, he says, awake my soul, awake, O harp and lyre, like he's talking to instruments. And then he says, I will awake the dawn. What do you think he's doing? To, what do you think he's doing? This is like, don't get me wrong here. This is true positive thinking. Not fake positive thinking. Not like, I'm going to be a millionaire, I'm going to be a millionaire, I'm going to be a millionaire. I don't mean that. I'm going to get the Mercedes, I'm going to get the Mercedes. I don't mean that. What he's saying is, he's... He's literally commanding himself and commanding his day, wake up, soul. Wake up, spirit. Wake up, David. Let's awaken the dawn. He's literally telling the day how it's going to start rather than letting the day tell him how it's going to start. And he's, he's leaning into that. And, and, and just that phrase, my heart is steadfast, oh God. One biblical scholar, John Goldengate, he translates it this way. He says, my mind is set. I will awaken the dawn. I will awaken these instruments, harp and lyre. I will approach this day worshiping God. And I love this because, and here's a line I wrote on the screen for us to think about. Before David looks back to God's promises or faces any problems, his posture is praise. Did you, think, did you get that? Before David looks back to God's promises or faces his own problems, his posture is praise. His posture is praise. There's um, someone who passed away about seven, eight years ago. He was a pastor in Michigan, Grand Rapids, Michigan. His name was Ed Dobson. And Ed Dobson was um, really a phenomenal person. Um, God used him in his church, in his neighborhood, but also among other, other churches. And Ed led a church for 20 or more years. And Ed started to um, feel something strange going on in his body, and he wasn't sure what. And uh, through months and months of medical appointments, he, he was diagnosed with ALS. And at the age of 50, just so passionate for God, passionate for the church, he felt he had, like, so much passion for, you know, what was coming next. He, he had to resign from his church because he just, his faculties were starting to not work, and he realized, I can't do this. And before it got worse, he ended up resigning. 
And he writes a book. It's an amazing book if you ever get a chance to read it. It's called In the Fog. And he, he, he kind of tells us his story um, of ALS while he still can. He's literally dictating it through certain mechanisms and machines and things like that. And last week I was with some people from Westside after a picnic, and I don't know what we were talking about or they were talking about, but it reminded me of this book. And then it came back to me this week as I was thinking about this psalm. Because Ed, after he left, after he, he stepped down from his role, he still wanted to be part of the church and the community, but he also realized he needed to give them space, and he wanted to see what the Lord was doing in his city. So him and his wife would visit other churches at the time, and he walks into uh, a church that was probably predominantly African-American and, and it not, not his style of the church that he was a part of. So he, him and his wife quietly sit down in the seats and they're there five or ten minutes early and there's light music playing in the background. Nobody said a word. Nobody's come on stage. Nobody has said welcome like Ron did this morning. But all of a sudden, like, someone just stands up and is like, thank you, Jesus, for my toast and jam. And he's like, what? what? And he, so he turns back and he's like, this is not how we start our gathering. Like, and then someone else is like, thank you, Jesus, for the car that brought me here this morning. And someone else is like, thank you, Jesus, for my family. And, and all the, a few people start just popping up and just thanking God for certain things. And he's like, man, I, we haven't even started yet. And it just hit him like a ton of bricks. He realized that as he was deteriorating, there's so many things he could not thank God for. But then he realized there was a hundred other things he could thank God for. And the next morning, he woke up, and he's like, he wakes up, he sees his room, he's like, I'm going to go through this room, and I want to acknowledge God's just life-giving blessing in my life. He opens his sock drawer. Thank you, Jesus, for my red socks. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus, for my checkered socks. He goes to another drawer and just goes through his shirts. Thank you, God, for this blue shirt. He, and he just kind of like tours his room, and then it overflows into other parts of his life, and he awakens the dawn with praise. Such a change. This reminds me of some spirituals that were sung by those that were trapped in slavery. And you wonder how could they wake up in the morning and sing a song of praise and worship. And it was an unjust life. But even in the middle of that, there was a courage and a resilience and an energy-filled hope of trusting God for the future. And we learn so much from those spirituals. So David sings, he praises, but he does something else. On the other side of the promise, see, it's not just story and it's not just song. He then begins to seek God. And he begins to pray. And these are bold prayers. I mean, this is like David is like, like contending with God. Verse 7 as he, sorry, verse 10, like listen to his words. Who will bring me to the fortified city? This is a question to God. Who will lead me to Edom? Have you not rejected us, God? That's a rhetorical question. Like the answer is yes. It feels like you have. Have you not rejected us, God? And then this one, this is just plain, straight up, God, I'm like complaining here. He says, you do not go out, O God, with our armies. In other words, he's like, God, we've been out and we feel like you're not with us. We're, we're hitting this problem. We feel like you're absent. We're working through this and we feel like, uh, we feel alone. We feel we don't have help. And David just boldly, man, just boldly praised this. And then the next line is his appeal. God, grant us help 
God, grant us help. God, grant us help. After complaining in prayer, he just asks God, God, would you help us? Anne Lamott is a great writer. She's so authentic in her life and how she describes her ups and downs and her quirks and brokenness. And she wrote a book on prayer. And I, I'm not saying it's the most theological book, but I think it, it's practical. It, her, the three words of prayer is help, thanks, and wow. And the first word of prayer for her is thank, help. Help, God. I'm stuck. Help. I'm in a jam. Help. This is, this is a struggle. That's one of the most authentic prayers we can pray is help. You know, the last couple of years, our society has been in a roller coaster. And like I said, we feel like we're in a gray zone and we don't know what's next. And, and as a pastor, I, I like, I'm so hungry to, to kind of discern as a church community, what's next? How do we move forward? How do we build into one another? How do we build community? How do we continue building discipleship even after the ups and downs? Do we know what's coming? And, you know, I'm going to be honest. I have no clear info that the roller coaster will stop. I can't tell you today. It's all over. Don't worry. Markets are going to be good today. The world's going to be at peace. COVID is over. You're going to be fine. I, I, I can't tell you that. I don't know. I have no clear info. There's no certainty that the roller coaster will stop. There's little certainty that we can predict. And I'm reading and reflecting, and I read secular things and Christian things and, and historical insight, and I'm like, and it's all important because I want to get a sense by how have people dealt with this in the past. And here's one thing that has jumped out to me as I've been reading the, the Psalms and the prophets, and it's this word that sometimes the psalm writers write, like David, and sometimes the prophets write, and it's this simple word. It's inquire. David inquired of the Lord. Jeremiah inquired of the Lord. Some of these prophets went to the Lord and just contended before him. And I realized that's, that it's, not, it's good to kind of get wisdom and understand what's going on and understand what's happening in the world, but I felt this prompting. Am I asking God, Lord, would you, like, will you lead us? We don't know what tomorrow holds. We don't know if it's going to be more of a roller coaster. We don't know. There's no certainty, but will you lead us? And here's my question for me and for us. Like, when we hit a wall, do we look on tips? Like, are we like a YouTube searcher? Like, let me find these tips. You know, are we like, let me find a self-help book that addresses to my problem. And maybe there's some wisdom there. But are we like the inspirational quotes? Are we like this line from a movie was so inspirational, I'm going to hold it right out of my fridge? Like, is that how we approach the issues that go on in our lives? Or do we stop and inquire of God for decisions, for finances, for family, for friends, for relationships, for ministry, for whatever is going on? And I think, like, Psalm 108 is a model for you and me. We can come before the Lord. We sing, but we also seek how we approach the tension of either unfulfilled promises, long waits, or even a season of struggle. We boldly come before God in praise and prayer, singing and seeking. And this is what David's giving us today in this psalm. A way to work through an unfilled promise, a slow-to-come-about promise, or whatever struggles happen between the two major promises, between resurrection and the resurrection of the dead. This belief, and here's, this is really key, and this encourages me, the belief that rescue is always ultimate, but it's not always imminent. You catch that? That rescue is always ultimate. The kingdom of God will reign. Jesus will be Lord over the universe. The new creation will come and take place. Rescue is always ultimate, but it's not always imminent. 
It's not always now. It's not always today. It's not always in my timeline. It's not always in my lifetime. And so we sing and seek in the meantime based on God's story. We praise and pray based on God's promise and promises. And that's how I want to encourage us today to think through that. I don't know if you're going through a paralyzing time. I don't know if there's a, a struggle, you're working through a challenge, an obstacle. I don't know if you're going to face one in the future. I don't know if, you, if you're just kind of hoping on positive thinking that the roller coaster will stop. And then it's like, well, what if we root ourselves in God's story and God's promises and determine daily to sing and, and seek, to praise and pray, that those frame our days. Amen? I'm going to invite the team to come up as we move towards ending our gathering in, communi in communion today. And um, ironically, as I was thinking about this, and I just shared the adoption story, I have another friend. And it's very personal, this friend. And many of, some of you Westsiders know who he is. His name is Philip Serez. Philip Serez, um, wonderful person, passion for God. He's served with, like, the group of churches we're a part of in mission. He's helped catalyze churches on the east coast of Canada or eastern Canada for mission. He came to Quebec multiple years, one year after another after another for, for over a decade because he just believed and loved what God was doing in Quebec. And Philip, I mean, he, is, he just oozes passion for God, for people, um, for life, for creation, for, you know, the Swiss Alps where he comes from to country roads in southern Ontario to just all the beautiful things that God has created. But about two years ago, he was, we noticed that Phil was starting to talk differently and struggling with that, and he couldn't get his mind around what was going on. And after multiple appointments a year later, Phil found out he had ALS in his late 40s. It was a tough blow to him and to his family. Everything was slowly deteriorating. His speech, his coordination, his movement, and yet, if, I'm going to link some videos to Phil uh, in our social media for you guys and maybe in our email this week because if you see the smile on his face when he's on a Segway, <laughs> even with bat, with, without being able to talk or still going to visit his family in Switzerland and enjoying creation or, or you know, spending time with his kids, in the middle of all this with no cure, Phil and his family seem to take their cues from Psalm 108. Rooting themselves in God's story and promises, praising and praying, singing and seeking. That's, that's Phil in Switzerland. That's his family. Um, I just saw a video, and I'm going to share that video as well. He's, he's addressing a church, but he can't speak. So his daughter is speaking for him, and he's kind of like very elaborately with all of his emotion just describing what she's saying because he can't now. And... But here's the thing, here's the thing, and amidst all that struggle, here, here's Phil's focus on praise and prayer. If you go to his Instagram page, here's one of the, he just posts verses like this because he has said in this last six months, he says, he's, he wants to tell everybody, he says, I want you to realize it's all true. The gospel's true. God's love is true. God's graciousness is true. God's future is true. I know it. I feel it. I experience it, even in the middle of, lim of his limitations. And I don't believe that's possible unless Phil's life is postured in praise and prayer. He's still praying fervently, but he's also praising on the front end of it.
And so this, today as we move into communion and the team begins to lead us, um, I just want to invite you to root ourselves in this. To root ourselves. I hope it encourages you or will encourage you in, an, in a future season of your life. And so as we come to God this morning, I want to invite you, you know, some of these summer practices that we learned from these psalms or prayers, God wants to teach us them today, maybe for today and maybe for tomorrow. We grab a hold of them. We let them sit and work in us. And so the practice today is let's learn how to sing and seek. Let's learn how to praise and pray. And in the middle of that, we're rooted in God's story. We're rooted in God's promises. So I want to pray for you as you take just a moment to bring that to the Lord and as we prepare our hearts even for communion. Let me pray with you. God, some of us um, maybe feel disconnected from the kind of urgency that a psalm like this brings. And some of us feel like we're right in the thick of it. Lord, there's no certainty of what life will be like in the next season. But we are clear on something, that you are a God who has promised to work in his people. You've shown us through Israel. You've shown us through Jesus. You've shown us through your church. You've shown us through Pentecost. You've shown us through church history. You've shown us through recent history. You've shown us through the people that are resiliently engaging life to the fullest, even in difficult places like Iran and Iraq and Ukraine and Ukraine and Syria. Oh God, teach us too in the middle of our lives to sing and to seek, to praise and to pray. God, help us, remind us, prompt us so the first words that we utter when we wake up in the morning is, I will awaken the dawn. Awaken, O dawn that we will lean into every day with a just utter focus on you and worshiping you and giving you worth, God. May that be the start. And in moments where we're struggling, may we never neglect to believe that we can come to you in prayer and seek you. And we thank you that we can base it on what you've already done and what you will do ultimately. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this message helps guide you on your spiritual journey of discovering the life and message of Jesus. We update this podcast weekly, so why not hit subscribe and journey with us? Who are we? Westside Gathering is a local church in the West Island of Montreal. We're a simple community of faith where we want you to feel welcome, even if you're not into church or religion. We meet every Sunday, but you can also find smaller groups, environments, and resources for all ages between Sundays. Find out more at westsidegathering.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Vimeo. We'd love to hear from you. Ask a question, ask for help, or let us know how we can pray for you. If you'd like to contribute financially, just go to westsidegathering.com forward slash giving. Until next time, peace.